Welcome, listeners, to another Transformation Church Sermon Podcast. Let's prepare our hearts to receive the Word of God. Celebrate real quick. Last week, uh, you're obviously first service. I don't know if any of you were in second service, but last week, that was just a supernatural water baptism week that we, that really, the environment that, we've, that we experienced in here last week was just an environment of God, and we had about three or four people take a, take a step of water baptism in this first service, which was supernatural, and then second service, we had like 15 people stand up and say yes and just continue to come over and get water baptized, and it was, it was unglued, like... I, I was crying, the congregation was crying, people were getting in the tank crying, and we had to, we, so first, second service ran like eight minutes over because people are just going, I want to get baptized, and they're still coming out and getting into the tank, and so thank you again uh, for being a church that believes God uh, for life change. I don't want to take for granted what we do and who our church is and, and who you guys are because that's just, a lot of places don't see that kind of thing every week, and, and I'm just so grateful for a house that is alive and has the presence of God like that, and so... Thank you for being those people. We're going to start a new series today. For the next couple of weeks, we're going to look uh, at some of the different Psalms in the Bible. Uh, the Psalms are an amazing collection of, of writings from different heroes of the faith. And, and what I love about the Psalms is that there are songs. David, we're going to look at one of his today, uh, he penned about 73 different Psalms. And so our, our new series is called Bars and Battles. So the thought of uh, the battles that people go through and the bars that we write or the songs that we write in the middle of our battles are so important. Important. And so David is writing these uh, songs, 73 of them, uh, many believe, and he's facing certain things and, and certain emotions. Every time we look at a psalm, it's easy to read the psalm. I know I've done it. I can easily read it out of context from actually the experience that's going on in the person's life at the time. And so when you read a psalm, it's not just a song that was written. There's actually something behind it. There's some battle going on. There's, there's an experience that this, this faith hero is talking about or penning. And so that's what we want to look at, like not just how they're feeling. Listen, I, I don't want to just look at how th- these people are feeling. I want to look at how they're fighting. And so we get permission when we look and read the psalm to go, okay, David is feeling a certain way. And you read these psalms, there's all types of crazy emotions. There's ups and downs. There's, there's joy. There's a cry for justice. There's worship. There's brokenness. There's discouragement. There's hope. There's this, this expression of, of emotion that gives us a window into the soul of these men and women that have penned these psalms. We see this window into their heart of how they're feeling. So, so now we get to know and really have permission to feel certain ways, but then we also see in other other places in the scriptures, how they're actually fighting based on what they're going through. And so they're raw, they're real, uh, there's frustration with God, there's love for God, there's range of emotions. And I think over the next couple of weeks, I want to give myself permission and give you permission to feel one way, come on, and to fight another way. Anybody ever felt one way, but knew you weren't supposed to fight the way you felt? And, and, and God is saying to us a lot of times, like, you can feel that way, but you can't necessarily fight that way. And he wants to show us how to fight. And so in Psalm 59, we're going to pick up today in verse nine, David pins this Psalm in a major battle of his life. He's actually being hunted by Saul. He's on the run. And, uh, it's an amazing picture of what he writes. Verse nine, he starts here. I'm going to start in verse nine. It says, you are my strength and I watch for you. You are God. You are my fortress. Verse 10, my God on whom I can rely. I mean, David's got this, this trust in God, this, this holiness, this heart for God. It's amazing. He's being hunted. He's like, God, you're my strength. I trust for you. It says, God will go before me and, then, and will let me gloat over those who slander me. He kind of takes a little turn here. <laughs> he starts kind of like, let me gloat over him, God. 
David's a little spiritually schizophrenic sometimes. Anybody, anybody up and down a little bit in your faith sometimes? You're like, bless the Lord, oh my soul, kill them all. That's David. That, that's what we're seeing here. You're my strength. I watch for you. You're my God in whom I can rely. God, you'll go before me and let me gloat over my enemies. But do not kill them. Verse 11. But do not kill them, Lord, our shield. He like comes back, comes back to like his faith there for a second. Like, don't kill them, God, or my people will forget. And your might uproot them and bring them down. For their sins of their mouths, for the words of their lips, and let them be caught in their pride. For the curses in their lives, consume them in their wrath. Consume them till they are no more. I mean, he just... It's like this, this level of emotion that he, he shifts and swings to. Then it will be known to the ends of the earth that you're the God of Jacob. They return in the evening, snarling like dogs. They prowl about the city, verse 15. They wander about for food. They hound, they're not satisfied, verse 16. He comes back to like worship. But I will sing of your strength, oh God. In the morning, I will sing of your love, for you are my fortress. My refuge in times of trouble, you are my strength. I sing praise to you. You are my God, my fortress, in whom I can rely. We see this range of emotion. We see this up and down, this, this sphere of what he's going through. And a lot of times we feel like we're not allowed to have these type of emotions in the kingdom or we can't feel certain ways. And literally, we see and we get permission to feel a certain way but to fight another. In Psalm 59, we're seeing how David's feeling. But in 1 Samuel 19, we see how he's fighting. And so today I want to look at, at both. I want to look at how David is feeling, but I really want to get into Psalm 19. And, I mean, in first uh, Samuel 19 about how David is really actually fighting before I do that, the backdrop of David's life to this point, David's about 15 years old, probably here, maybe 19 years old, 15 to 19. If he was anointed King at 10, then he's about 15 here. If he was anointed King at 15, then he's about 19 or 20 here. And, and so, um, I believe he's about 15 years old here. The backdrop of this young man's life, being 15 years old, he grew up in obscurity. He's, he, he grows up in, a, in, a, in the tribe of Judah, obviously, in the town of Be in Bethlehem, the city of David, it, and, and he's an outcast. He's, he's really looked over by his family. Uh, I can't imagine growing up 15 years old and feeling the way he felt in that family that he was raised in. He's a shepherd, and so most of his time was spent in solitude. A lot of his time was out on the field. He was in obscurity before he ever, ever felt publicity. He, he, was, he was never known. He kind of was tuned, fine-tuned by God on the backside of some mountain, uh, praising and worshiping God, learning what it meant to be in solitude with God, not isolation, but being alone with God. And, and so it's forming his character, and he's getting the content of his character crystallized on the backside of this mountain while his family is discounting him and overlooking him. There's jealousy amongst his brothers. He's the youngest of the brothers. I mean, some of you are like, well, how do you know that he was discounted outcast amongst his family? Well, there's came a time when, when God actually called him to be king and the prophet Samuel comes to town to anoint King David as king. And, and when he comes there, all the brothers are paraded out. The father gets all of his sons who look the part and, and, and feel the part and they never go get David. And so they have this big meal. It's a meal. It wasn't just, a, it wasn't just an anointing service. It was a meal. It was a family dinner. I mean, because remember, uh, uh, Samuel was like, I'm not going to uh, just go anoint him. I'm going to pretend like it's a meal so Saul doesn't kill him. I'm going to go in and pretend like we're having this big meal. And so he comes to have a meal. David's out in the field, isn't even invited in. And all of a sudden, all the brothers are lined out. You know the story. As they get paraded out, Samuel goes, is this, is this, is this all the sons you have? There can't be. There can't, you got to have another son. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I forgot. There's one. But, but he's out there with the sheep. It's, it's, it's David. And Samuel's like, we're going to wait. Like, go get him. Anybody ever felt overlooked? 
Ever felt like you, you didn't, you know, your parents or family or boss or, or others looked at you and, and you were discounted or discredited? Come on, here's David. Samuel comes in. They bring him in from the sheep fields. Samuel anoints him with oil. Now he's got oil all over him and he, sent, and he goes right back out to the sheep fields. He goes right back out with the sheep. His brothers are jealous. He's been outcast. He's been judged by his dad, by his brothers, maybe his mom. I don't know. You don't hear a lot about his mom, but the reality is like there's a lot of internal turmoil and emotions that kind of go with this story. He goes to the battle lines. His father sends him. Goliath is fighting. The Philistines are fighting the Jews in Israel. He goes to that place and David shows up. His brothers accuse him when he shows up. We know his brothers were jealous because when he shows up at 15 to the battle lines, his brothers goes, what are you doing here? Why'd you come out? We know it's because of your heart. We, we know your motives are off. We know you think you're better than us because you were anointed king. You, don't, you shouldn't even be here. Your motives are messed up. David's like, man, I'm just here. Like, he says, is there not a cause? You ever, you ever felt judged? You ever felt like somebody judged your motives or thought, man, who are you? Or well, how can you have the audacity to believe God? Or how can you feel this way? Here's David. Saul discounts him. You're just a boy. He's like, man, I know. I just showed up to do something for God. So, so the backdrop is, is that this story where David's been overlooked, discounted, hurt, has a lot of probably things in his heart that he's dealing with. And now he steps on the forefront of humanity, kills Goliath and begins to get promotion. And so as he kills Goliath, God's hand comes on David and God's hand comes off of Saul. And David is in the process of being promoted. These songs begin to break out by the young Hebrew girls. The young Jewish girls begin to see David. Come on, somebody. Uh, you know, any Davids in the house want to be seen? Come on. And so, and so these young girls begin to see David and they write songs about him. They say, they say Saul has killed his thousands. David, his tens of thousands. And so like, so American Idol top 10, David made it. Saul's being voted off. There's a little jealousy amongst the, amongst the crowd. There's a little jealousy amongst America. Come on. Saul's upset. He's like, I can't believe they're saying these songs about, about David. Saul wants to kill David at this point. So on one hand, David's being promoted. Saul is being demoted. Saul is in a spiral emotionally. Anger and jealousy and fear and anxiety start to, uh, to reek in Saul's life. Saul wants to kill David because of this promotion that's coming on his life. Saul's trying to kill David. He gives orders to the entire army to kill David. David's on his way up. Saul's on his way down. David's under promotion from the hand of God, but all hell's breaking out in his life. Come on, listen to me. Sometimes you're like, man, I don't know why all hell's breaking out in my life. I don't know why it's so crazy on one hand. Have you ever been in a, in a moment where it's good on one hand and going crazy on the other hand? That's David's life at this point. Everything is being promoted. God's on his life here. He is going up. There's promotion. But on the other side, there is hell breaking out. There is the enemy coming after him. There are problems on this hand. I know there's times in my life I felt like things were going good and I had promotion and things were breaking loose and going crazy. Welcome to the kingdom. Welcome to Christianity. Welcome to the, the ways we're called to serve God. And this is the context that David pins Psalms 59. He's in this context where he's being promoted and he's got the emotions of promotion. He's got the emotions of, of being overlooked. He's got the emotions of having, to, of having to overcome and fight this Goliath. But now he's being hunted by the man who's current king. And he goes and he pins Psalm 59. First Samuel 19 tells us what's actually happening. So after he kills Goliath, he comes back in graces with Saul. 
And he comes back to the palace. He gets promoted. He goes into the palace and he begins to be a servant in the, pal- in the house of God. He begins to serve Saul. He begins to play the harp and serve in the palace. He does, he does different battles and different wars. And, and he has kind of a truce with Saul in this moment. And, and I'm just going to pick up in verse 8 real quick. First Samuel 19, verse 8, it says this. This is after he's fought Goliath. It says, and there was war again. And there was war again. And David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a mighty blow. And they fled. I, I'm just going to camp out on a few thoughts today. And there was war again. And there was war again. He fought Goliath. He killed Goliath. He's being promoted. And there was war again. And there was war again. Look at about two people and say, and there was war again. There's war again. You're like, why am I in this battle again? And there was war again. I thought I'd just beat Goliath. He's got brothers. I, I thought that, that it was over. I just came through the most horrific battle of my life. And there was war again. And there was war again. Somehow we've gotten in, in our mind. I'm going I'm to preach to you today. I'm not, I'm not teaching today. I'm preaching today. Is that all right? We've gotten in our mind that we're going to just go through this kingdom thing. And it's just going to be, you know, from, from pr- glory to glory, which it is, the Bible says. But that means from battle to battle to battle to battle. And there's war again. He's in a battle and he's fighting for his life again. Here's three stages of the Christian life. You're either in a battle coming out of a battle or going into a battle. I'm just, I'm here to encourage you. (laughs) You're either in a battle, coming out of a battle or going into a battle. And thank God we get some reprieve between battles or we get a little bit of the word of God or we get each other and we get the atmosphere of God and we get different things that God's given us and the spirit of God has empowered us. But we're in these type of battles and David is fighting battles. He's in promotion on one hand and fighting problems on the other hand. He is fighting wars and and battles and writing bars in Psalms. Come on. Anybody got bars in here? Come on. Anybody written some songs? Anybody got a poet? You write some things down. Anybody journal in here? Come on. Your greatest, listen to me, your greatest bars will be birthed out of your greatest battles. Or you could say it this way. Your greatest songs will will be born from your greatest sufferings. The greatest songs that you write, the greatest things that you ever journal, the greatest revelations you ever get from God will actually come from the greatest levels of suffering that we go through sometimes. And so here is this man of God who's writing down his emotions and pinning some beautiful psalm that we get to read today and and the emotions that he's carrying, but he's in the middle of a horrific battle hunted by a king that's trying to take his life. And here's the reality, guys. The devil's not just going to let you waltz into what God has for you without a fight. And, and here's the other bigger reality. God's not going to let you hold what you can't handle. And so many of us want promotion and we want to, to conquer enemies. We want to, to have things in our life and say we could get God's best. But if you're not prepared, God's not going to let you hold what you can't handle. And so some of you right now are going, I need, I want the next level. I want to hold some things, God, you've called me to hold. I want you to trust me with some things, God. But God's going, okay, I'm going to have to prepare you. How? With battle. Verse eight, and there was battle again. And there was war again. Let me prove it to you. Some of you are like, I don't believe that. Judges three, one through four. Amazing verse. It says, now these are the nations which the Lord left. Who, Who left them? Now, these are the nations which the Lord left that he might test Israel by them. That is all who had not known any of the wars of Canaan. This was only so that the generations of the children of God might be taught to know war. At least those who had not formerly known it. 
God is testing me and testing you and testing us to see if we can actually handle what he's called us to hold. How does he test you and I? Through battle, through war. It says he left these people in the land to actually test them with warfare and problems. Your problems, you can write this down, your problems are preparing you for promotion. Whatever you're facing right now, you're like, man, I don't know how I'm going through this. I don't know why I faced this. I don't know why I got this diagnosis. I don't know why I'm dealing with this in my family or my marriage. God is getting you ready for, for actual promotion. It says it in the scriptures that God was testing them. He's got to test you because he wants to know who you're going to turn to when, when, when you're in trouble. He, he, want to know, he wants to know who you're going to worship when your hands are holding his promise. Are you going to worship him or are you going to worship the gods of the age? That's what he actually says to, to the Jews here. He says, I'm actually going to test you with battle to see if you'll worship their gods or you'll worship me. And so I think a lot of times these tests that we're in or the battles that we're facing, we're, we're being tested and proven and strengthened by God. And many times we want to give up or quit or we think we're in trouble or we're being judged or we did something wrong. And I would encourage you, the fact that you're facing the battles that you're facing because God's actually strengthening you and getting you ready for promotion in, in your life. He can, he can trust you with what he's called you to, to hold. If you're in the middle of this war, if you're in the middle of a fight, I don't know what battles you're fighting. I know what battles I'm fighting today. And, and here's, the, here's the reality. It's not a matter if you're gonna fight. It's not a matter if there's gonna be battles you have to fight. It's a matter of how you're gonna actually fight the battles. It's like, how do I fight? How do you fight? How do we actually say, okay, God, I'm gonna fight a certain way. I'm gonna fight the inward battle. Hear me, David had to be beat the inward battle before he ever won the external battle. You, you're gonna, your greatest battles are gonna be internal before they're ever external. The greatest giants you're gonna have to conquer and that I'm gonna have to conquer are gonna be within before they're ever without. And I'm just gonna give you two thoughts that David fought and two battles he fought, but here's the thing. He comes on the scene and he beats Goliath and defends the entire nation. Before he ever def defends the, the nation, he has to forgive his family. I mean, imagine, imagine that, I mean, come on, you heard the list of things that happened to him early. I mean, imagine if that was still in his heart. Imagine if he was still carrying that around. Uh, he had to forgive his family. He had to forgive his brothers. He had to get rid of some things that were in his heart. He was anointed king. He had oil on him, but he went right back out to the sheepfold. He went right back out. Come on. If I was anointed king and everybody overlooked me, I'm not going back out to the sheep. I'm going in the house and I'm putting up a big recliner. I'm like, y'all bringing me grapes? Come on, get a fan out. I'm king. Y'all know I'm king, somebody. Mom, dad, y'all overlook me. It's on now. Put them outside for a little bit. My sheep duties are over. Not David. D David's fighting these battles of bitterness and, 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 and pain and forgiveness. He's got he's to he's live in this obscure moment on, the, on these mountains, even when he's been anointed king. Come on, God said some things over your life, and you feel like you're still in obscurity. You're like, I'm still dealing with some stuff in my life. God's got to deal with you in obscurity before he puts publicity on you. He has to know that you can handle some things. You're not living for other people's approval. David fights the first battle, the battle of insignificance. We all fight it. David has this battle with insignificance, I believe. I was just praying through this. And the Holy Spirit just gave me a couple thoughts of what David probably had to fight. I mean, think about it. The, the prophets put oil on him and he's gone right back out to the sheep. He's out there in the field. He's out there, same sheep, same family, same mom and dad that don't believe in him. Same brothers that say you don't amount to anything and you're not much and you're never going to be anybody. He comes to the battle and they're like, what are you doing here? They judge his motives. It, not, not a whole lot has changed. Like, God, you anointed me king and 
Nothing else has changed. Anybody ever felt like, God, I've been in church. I've been praying. I've been opening up the scriptures. I've, uh, I've got some new friends, but, but I, a lot hasn't changed. Same balls talking down to me. Same parents not believing me. Same spouse overlooking me. Anybody, anybody ever felt that way? Like, God, I just don't know what to do. And sometimes we, we get this battle of insignificance and we're like, God, who am I? And what am I? The Bible says that David was anointed with oil from the prophet of God, anointed king. So he's got oil all over him. And he goes back out to the sheep. Look at somebody and say, you look oily today. The word Christian means anointed one. Anointed means smeared. When, when, you, when you gave your life to Christ, you actually became smeared by the Holy Spirit. You're a Christian. You're anointed by God. You're marked by God. You might not feel significant. You might be going to the same ball, same family, same home, same field, same sheep, same environment, but you are smeared by God. You are significant. You are marked by God. You, you, have, some, you have some things about you, and I know when you, when you might go around people, and they might not understand it. Years ago, I do a lot of weddings, but years ago, I did one with, with a tuxedo on. I had to wear a tux. And, and, I, and I don't always wear a tux as the pastor, but this one, I had to wear a tux. And I remember having to stop and do an errand before I went to the wedding to go and, 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 do, and do the wedding. And I stopped. I was getting flowers or buying something they told me to get. And I went into Kroger, and I'm in a tuxedo. Anybody ever gone out in a tuxedo, like into a, a, a gas station? or, a, or, or, a, or you know, you Do you find yourself like explaining it away when people are looking at you? You're walking up the, up the, you know, up the parking lot, and you're like, I'm going to a wedding. Headed to a wedding, you know, it's like, it's like, you know, you just feel you have to kind of make explanation. You walk in, I walked into Kroger, people are looking at me, I'm perusing the produce aisles and they're like, look, I'm like headed to a wedding, not, not stand. Don't normally peruse the produce aisles in a tuxedo headed, headed to a wedding, going, going to a wedding, get to the checkout counter. Hey, yep, yep, good. Yep. Oh, yep. Look, nice thing. Going, headed to a wedding, headed to a wedding. It's just awkward. You know, I'm like, just explaining. Here's the thing. I'm not dressed for where I am. I'm dressed for where I'm going. And the, the word of God over your life is not for where you are currently in your condition. You might feel insignificant. You might feel overlooked or you might feel like they don't see the value in you. But the reality is you're not dressed for where you are. You're dressed for where you're going. I know you're still flipping burgers, but you got oil on you. I know your spouse doesn't see all you do, but you got oil on you. I know you're raising those kids and they don't appreciate it, but you got oil on you. Come on, I know you're still dreaming about the, the kingship and what God's called in your life, and it doesn't look like it's happening, but there's oil on you that God's anointed you. Come on, you are significant. Don't allow anything in your life except the prophetic word of God to define your significance. Don't allow culture, don't allow circumstances, don't allow people's opinion of you, don't allow the current conditions that you face to define who you are. The prophetic word of God over your life, the scriptures of God, what God has whispered to you and talked to you about is the word of significance over your life. It doesn't matter who questions you or who doesn't believe in you. Saul didn't believe in, in David. His brothers didn't believe in him. He shows up. He begins to rehearse his significance. He's like, man, I'm not dressed for where I am. I'm dressed for where I'm headed. I know I'm back here with these sheep, but I got oil all over. When I show up, here's the thing. When you show up, if you'll live this way, when you show up, you'll be the best man and the best woman. You'll be prepared for all that God's called you to be. If you're dressing with the word of God over your life, it doesn't matter the current condition. You'll show up and you'll actually step into what God's called you to step into. David shows up and he's like, is there not a cause? I just want to encourage you. Some people might be questioning your significance. David rehearses it. He says, I've killed the lion. I've killed the bear. I've forgiven my family. 
I've killed bitterness. My brothers judged me. I came to the front battle lines and they said, what's your problem? Why are you even here, David? They're accusing him. And in the middle of the accusation, he calls to remembrance the cause. Can I tell you that the cause of God in your life is bigger than anybody's accusation of you? And anytime people begin to try to bring accusation, you say, is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? I was watching my kids play soccer the other day and, 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 and one of the boys on the, on the kids' soccer team, he's a, he's a freshman, Promise, and he's really good. He's got some great ball handling skills and uh, Promise is a uh, professional soccer player. And, uh, and, and so, and so he, he's playing and here's what's happened. He kind of... He, he, He's got this sneaky speed, right? And so he's walking around. He's always kind of a little bit, he has a little bit of like a down demeanor. I'm like, come on, pick it up, man. Come on, you're good. And, and, and somehow um, the throw-in kept getting called wrong. By the, the ref kept calling the wrong side. And so, so every time, it happened like two times. And, and the, the second time, the ball got thrown in. And this kid, his name's Gage, he was just like, you know, he put his head down. He's like, you know, I don't, you know. Uh. I mean, we're like, we're in the first half. And he's like putting his arm, I'm like, and finally the ref's like, come on, man, play the game. Quit worrying about the throw in. And I was like, yeah, dude, the throw in. That doesn't matter. Like you got a whole game left to play. We, he was getting distracted by the silliest, non-important detail of a throw in when, when the reality was there was an entire game to play. Sometimes we get these accusations and we get so sidetracked by the enemy on the smallest little details when there's an entire game to be played. Like, come on, quit moping over the throw-in. The throw-in don't matter. Like, I've never seen anybody mope over a throw-in, right? I mean, just throw the ball in and let's play soccer. And so I just want to encourage you, like, you are significant. It doesn't matter what the accusations are over your life. David steps up. He says, I've killed all these giants. And you know what? God's with me, and I'm going to kill this giant too. I'm going I'm to kill this giant that's standing in front of me. He kills the enemy. Uh, the second battle that he faces, the first battle he faces is insignificance. Some of you might be facing that right now. You, you, are, you are strong in God. D don't, let me just back up for a second. Don't discount the other battles that he's brought you through. Those are significant. Like, like David had to rehearse the significant moments in his life in order to get through insignificant feelings. Sometimes it's easy to feel insignificant. David's like, you know what? I killed the bear. Come on, somebody's like, man, I, I overcame that. I, I stopped yelling. Come on, there's days in the car when I see myself respond different than I would have a year ago. I'm like, ha, ah, I've grown. I think there's something about like rehearsing the significant moments of growth and battles that we've overcome to get over insignificance in our life sometimes. David fights the battle of insignificance. Second battle, and we all fight this, he fights the battle of insecurity. I hope somebody's gonna get free today. Come on, I believe, I believe somebody's gonna get free of insecurity right here in the next few moments. He fights the battle of insecurity. First Samuel 17, it says, so Saul clothed David with his armor. And he put a bronze helmet on his head and he clothed him with a coat of mail. David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk for he had not tested him. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these for I have not tested them. So David took them off. So David took them off. Saul's armor didn't fit David. It wasn't easy to, it was, or it was pretty easy to realize it didn't fit. Come on, it was too, too long, too heavy. David's trying to fight in an armor that's tiring him out. I got a picture of a modern day David in Saul's armor. Check this picture out. <laughs> Come on, it's not too easy to realize that doesn't fit. 
It's not, too, it's not too hard to realize that something in your life doesn't fit. You're tired. You're carrying something that you were never meant to carry. You're walking around in something that's wearing you out. You're putting on this armor. A lot of times we put on Saul's armor and we're worn out. We're tired. We're carrying stuff other people call us to carry that God never called us to carry. Here's Saul and David. David puts all this on. He starts getting worn out. He's like, I can't fight in this. It doesn't fit me. Hear me. Please hear me. A lot of us realize that oh, Saul's armor doesn't fit, but we never verbalize that it doesn't fit. And the first thing that David had to do was actually verbalize. This stuff doesn't fit me. And think about the battle he was in. Here's the king. Here is the one that's invited him to actually fight the giant. Here's the one that says, I'll give you a shot. Here's the one that believes in him when his family doesn't. Here's my armor, little David. Here's my sword, David. Here's my chain nail. Here, here's my weapons, David. And David has to have the courage to go, you know what? It looks fine on you, but it doesn't fit me. And I think sometimes we want to have approval. We want to fit in. We want to feel secure. We don't want anybody to be let down. We don't want to say, because we have insecurity in our life at times. So we won't verbalize that you're called to carry that, but I'm not going to carry that any longer. Take it off. Come on, I want to give you permission to take it off today. It says David actually took it off. He just said, I'm not going to carry it. Some of you are worn out because you're wearing stuff God never called you to carry. And here's the thing. I can't count on God if I'm carrying something he didn't call me to carry. I'm going to count on God to to carry what he's called me to carry. Some of you are carrying expectations you've put on yourself that God never called you to carry. Some of you are carrying expectations from your spouse and you've never verbalized and you've got the strength to verbalize. I'm not going to carry these expectations any longer. They're not my expectations. I'm not just going to fit in and try to make you feel good. I can't carry these expectations any longer. Some of you are carrying expectations from a boss or from, or from a friend or from whatever it might be that you put on yourself. I'm not going to carry your guilt any longer. I'm not insecure. I'm not going to carry your shame any longer. I'm not going to carry your, your success any longer. I'm more concerned about your success than you are. I can't rescue from it. It's your responsibility, not mine. Come on. Some of y'all need to get permission to verbalize. I can't carry this anymore. I hope I'm preaching to somebody today. I remember in college, I had a pair of size 10 shoes boots. I wear size 12. I love these boots. They're a little bit taller. I'm 5'10". I want my, you know, like these boots make me about 5'11". And a half, maybe. These boots hurt my feet so bad. I wore them anyway. I I debated if I was going to tell you why I wore the boots today. I wore them because I wanted to be taller. I wore them out. I endured them all types of pain to look good. Come on, how many of you are enduring all kinds of pain right now just to look good? Come on, ladies, you know about them high heels. Y'all know what y'all, y'all are doing it today. Y'all do it daily. Some of us, when it comes to insecurities, we endure pain just to look good or fit in or not let anybody down. And I, I just want to give you encouragement today. You need to verbalize. This doesn't fit me. Saul, it might look fine on you, but I'm not carrying it anymore. I'm going to verbalize it today. David verbalizes it. He takes off the armor and he goes out and he destroys Goliath. He destroys him with his own weapons. I just want to encourage you, the weapons that God's designed you to have, that's what you're going to beat your giants with. Your, your, your design, your calling. It's a rock and a rag for David. I don't know what it is for you. It could be a 
It could be a teaching degree. It could be a, a, a pie that you can bake. It could be something that you've discounted or feel insignificant about. But if you keep trying to dress up and wear what you think someone else wants you to wear, you're never going to step into the design that God's called you to battle with. And so today, I just want to encourage you, like, I'm going to fight with the weapons that God has given me. I'm going to battle and I'm going to beat giants. David does it. David wins the battle. I'm going to close up here in a second. I got a few more minutes with you. We're going to worship today at the end for a second. First Samuel 19, I think it's important. After David beats Goliath and Samuel, it says that there's a truce between him and Saul and David. Actually, David's son, Jonathan, talks his dad into not killing David. He says, Dad, if you can read it, you can read it in 1 Samuel 19. He says, Dad, you, you, there's no cause for you to kill David. You have no cause to kill him. Saul had gotten to his mind that he had a cause to kill David. And Jonathan says, Dad, there's no cause for you to kill him. If you remember, Dad, you actually rejoiced when he killed the Philistine. Dad, you actually rejoiced when he killed the giant. And God told me to tell some of you, the thing you're wanting God to remove, you used to rejoice over. The thing you want God to get out of your life, you used to rejoice over. And now you think you have a cause to kill it. You think you have a cause to quit on that relationship or a cause to quit on that child or a cause to quit on that church. or a cause. The thing you used to pray for and have joy about, you think you have a cause to quit on now. And God's saying, no, 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 no. Jonathan's saying, no, no, no. You don't have a cause. The enemy's working on you. You prayed for those kids. You, you can't kill them now. Come on. You prayed for your pastors. Come on, you can't abandon them now. Come on, you prayed for that community. You prayed for those friends. You prayed for that promotion. You prayed for that job. And the thing that now is causing you to think you're in a battle, which is actually preparing you for the blessings of God, you think is the enemy and God trying to punish you somehow. No, no, no. Like, don't, don't want things removed that you used to rejoice about. So Saul's reminding, Jonathan's reminding David, and David goes, okay. And they've got this moment now. David comes inside of the palace in verse 9 and says this, Now the distressing spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in his house with his spear in hand. And David was playing music with his hand, and Saul tried to pin David to the wall with a spear. Keep in mind, David's writing Psalm 59 based on this situation. And Saul sought to pin him to the wall with the spear, but he slipped away from Saul's presence and he drove the spear into the wall. So David fled and escaped that night. Saul also sent messengers the next day to watch and kill him in the morning. So, so what I want to tell you today is to choose your weapons wisely. Whatever battle you're in right now, I ask you to choose your weapons wisely. We see Saul, he had a spear sitting in his hand, bitter and angry. We see David with a harp in his hand, playing music and worshiping unto God. David is soothing Saul. Saul picks up a spear, throws the spear, tries to pin David to the wall. Spear hits the side of David's, right beside his head. And there's the spear. David has a choice. You have a choice in this moment. David could have either grabbed the spear out of the wall and thrown it back at Saul and killed him, or he could have kept his hand on the harp and slipped out in safety. Say, David decides, I'm not going to take the spear and kill him. I know he's tried to kill me. I'm not going to, I know they told lies on you. I know they hurt you. I know they offended you, but you have a choice. You can either worship God or you can throw spears. And God said, choose your weapons wisely. David says, God is my refuge. God is my shepherd. God will defend me. God is my strength. You, you, don't, you don't have to 
fight back. You don't have to get pulled into the fray. You don't have to fight the enemy the way the world fights the enemy. Choose your weapons. David could have killed him in a moment. Man, I know they hurt you. I know they over, I know that they, they lied. I know that the things they did to you weren't right. I know that you, but you don't have to throw spears back. I choose the harp. I choose worship. And here's the title for the message today. I'm going to give you the title at the end. First Samuel 19, it says this. So David fled and escaped and went to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and stayed at Naoth. Now it was told Saul saying, take note, David is at Naoth at Ramah. Then Saul sent messengers to take David. Can I tell you that Satan will always send a messenger? And some of you came in here with messages chasing you today. Some of you came in here with messengers chasing you with different whispers from the enemy or different words from a, a boss or a spouse or a loved one or a friend or just different. I got a message from a doctor this last week that chased me in here today. I need that messenger to be taken care of. Listen to me. There's messages. The enemy sends messages and Saul sent messengers to get David. Three times he sent messengers. Three times, every time the messenger showed up, they would actually begin to prophesy. And then I'm going to skip to the, the bottom of it for time's sake. The fourth time, Saul goes, you know what? I'm going to go get him myself. Saul's already tried to kill him with a spear. David's already dubbed, hasn't defended himself. David runs to Ramah. That's the title for today. Run to Ramah. David's pinning this psalm. He's writing about the battle he's in, but he runs to Ramah. He's feeling one way. He's feeling like he wants his enemies to be killed and annihilated, but he's fighting a different way. And he runs to the place called Ramah where Samuel is. Samuel is the epitome and the origination of the prophetic word spoken over this man. It's the first man of God. It's the prophet that anointed him king. It's the word of God. When all the messengers get into the environment of where the word of God is at Ramah, they begin to prophesy, the Bible says. You can read it. Just give me a little bit, a little bit less. Just a little bit less for a second. And as, as he's running, those messengers actually begin to prophesy. Saul shows up and he says, where are David and Samuel? And it says he actually walks amongst the people of God. He, he walks amongst this, this. The messengers, the enemy, the things chasing you and I, the things coming at walk amongst this. And it says Saul begins to prophesy when the Spirit of God comes upon him. He lays down on his face, strips himself down naked, takes his sword and spears and weapons off and begins to prophesy by the Spirit of God over David. Can I just tell you, when you run to Ramah, when you decide to fight your battles in a different way and get around the presence of God and the worship of God and the prophetic environment of God and the saints of God, the messengers that are coming after you actually have to begin to speak the word of God and the will of God and the victory of God over your life. Every Saul chasing you has got to strip down and get humble. Come on, Goliath fell face down. That doesn't make sense. Physics said he should have fell backwards. He fell face down. He had to worship at the feet of David. Your enemies have to call you blessed. Come on, when they come in one way, they flee in seven. Somebody should be on their feet as I preach this gospel. Come on, get to your feet. Let's worship God for a second. Thank you for listening to another Transformation Church sermon podcast. If you would like someone to pray with you, or if you would like some ministry materials, please email us at hello at transformationchurch.us.